Welcome to episode six of Wellness World with Carly Lockman. This episode is a juicy one, in my opinion. Uh, it's an interview with Ari Gaeta, who is a licensed psychotherapist and spiritual healer. She's also a very close friend of mine. Ari and I have a really conversational rapport, and um, I, I just tried to let this conversation flow as organically as possible. And so much beautiful wisdom came through. Um, Ari details her own story of healing. And she talks about so many of the therapeutic modalities she's used not only on herself, but clients. I mean, Ari is a treasure trove of, uh, of healing, mind-body healing um, mediums. So I hope you'll stick through to the end. I really feel like we we sort of just build momentum in this conversation and it gets it gets juicier as the episode goes on. Uh, if you are someone that is dealing with a chronic illness, has dealt with a chronic illness, has known anyone that's dealt with a chronic illness, I highly recommend listening to this episode because it's likely that you will... You will hear about some options for you that you may not have tried yet, which I know is um, seems maybe impossible <laughs> to people that have, have been on this journey. But uh, I know Ari has introduced me to things that I was, to modalities that have been very helpful that I was totally unaware of. And I thought I had uh, overturned every rock looking for solutions for myself. So please enjoy. And um, yeah, here we go. Ari, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited you could be here. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally making it happen. And uh, yeah, so there's so many things that you are uniquely qualified to talk about. I feel like we could probably record multiple full episodes on them. But when I was thinking about what, uh, what would be most valuable to listeners, I really think your personal story of healing is very compelling. You are a licensed psychotherapist. You've been trained in a variety of mental, emotional, spiritual uh, healing mediums. And what's unique about your experience is that you were applying many of these techniques to yourself and your own situation at the same time that you were using them with clients. Yes, pretty much parallel processes. Um, I don't think they knew that, but <laughs> that was definitely yeah. happening. And I was thinking about it when I was getting ready for the podcast, even when I was, before I was a therapist, thinking about the things I was doing personally for healing and what I was doing professionally, I was still sort of trying to uh, bring it in because I think, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think you can relate to this. I think it's really almost impossible to separate your, yes. I mean, I'm just not like that. I can't just like go to work and pretend uh, the rest of me doesn't exist, you know? Right. So, yeah. So it's just sort of inevitable that, it all was just becoming, I was sort of becoming who I was as a healer, as I was becoming who I was being, you know, getting healed. 
Right. Essentially. Yeah. Right. So, all right, let's start at the beginning. When did you first start experiencing dysfunction in your body and what was that experience like? Okay. (laughs) Um, I only laugh because, you know, a lifetime, um, a lifetime feels like a long time when you have chronic illness. Um, So when I was little, when I was a kid, I always had GI issues, always. And that was sort of the beginning. Um, And I think about it, you know, a lot of us in the wellness community who had issues on and off. If you think about when you're younger, like just certain things start to make sense. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I had like eczema when I was little and like just different GI things or um, I was also eating horrendously. Like it was as we all were. Yeah. I was born in like, I was born in 81 and it was right when maybe like, I don't remember what year it was, maybe like 88, 89. It was right when they started to take all the sugar out of everything and And replace it it with corn syrup. Well, that, but also like, do you remember that moment? I don't know if you remember when they started to put fake sugars in everything. Oh, like everything was like aspartame. Yeah. Right. And like, and my mother was, was you know, in diet culture. So like all my, all of a sudden, all my cookies had like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) fake. So anyway, so I know that all that also contributed just the junk that the chemicals that were going in my body, but I did have GI issues. Um, But I was pretty functioning like as a kid. And then um, when I was in high school, I had, um, I had to get an ovarian, like ovarian cysts removed. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling like, and I had horrible cramps. I just remember feeling like, oh, something like I could feel a shift in my body. Like, oh, something's, I just took a turn here. <laughs> like right. I could just feel something, but I was still functioning really well. And then, um, around 18 years old, I started to get really depressed. And that's when the emotional stuff started happening, which I think is very common for a lot of people around that age. Uh-huh. Um, really uh, severe depression. And then I had severe PTSD symptoms around that time and anxiety, looping thoughts, panic attacks, all of that stuff. But it wasn't quite so, physical yet. Yeah. So PTSD uh, from childhood experiences. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, go ahead. And then the big moment was when I was 21 and I had just gone through a breakup and I woke up one morning, maybe two weeks after that. And I had all of this crazy pelvic pain, mm. just this insane feeling. And in my like, pelvic area. And I had no idea what it was. Literally, I woke up one day. It was not a gradual thing. Right. Um, And I would go to a million doctors. People would tell me, you know, you have like a, you know, they would just say things like yeast infection. I didn't have a yeast infection, but that's what they would, because doctors had no idea. So then they they make things up. Isn't Um, that like mind blowing the way they can, <laughs> I've, I've had this happen before where you're in like, you're like, no, my pain is like a nine. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like, did you get a bug bite? <laughs> I Basically. Like, I they, asked me that one. I was like, wow. 
Well, I mean, maybe a spider bit you. I used to, I had this idea once that I was going to, I never did it, but I still think about it sometimes that I was going to write. I could do it from, from my vantage point now, which would actually be even more interesting that I was going to hunt down somehow all the doctors that I've ever seen and <laughs> <laughs> like write them all a letter. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it would kind of be interesting to make it a book where yeah. it was like a book of all the letters to all the doctors that said yeah. all the things, but I didn't really, I don't really know that I didn't take notes, but there was crazy things said to me. Great. I mean, you know, most, a lot of them said I was making it up, you yep. know, these kind of things. Um, so anyway, that was the start of a, you know, pretty much 15 year ride trying to figure out what that was. So I used to think it was because I was drinking wine. I thought it had to do with my detergent, you know, all these things that we, our mind is trying to, you know, search for a answer. Um, I thought it so had to do with working out. Mm -hmm. 15 years of the pelvic pain specifically, like with no, yeah. break. no breaks. Well, interestingly, <laughs> I would a couple times, I got a break from it and it was only, there's one time in particular that I remember I was a little older now. I was probably 27 or something, 20. Yeah. And I went to visit a friend of mine in Madison, Wisconsin, just for like five days. And for some reason I get there and it disappeared. And I was like, that's interesting. That was one of the first times where I was like, Hmm, this is so weird. Like it was just, it was something about being on vacation away yep. from my life. I was also a public school teacher at the time in a very strenuous mm. position, teaching kids who had uh, special needs and they couldn't, you know, a lot of kids, they couldn't read or behavioral. There were a lot of behavioral issues. I was in a very dysfunctional school. It was, killing me, but I had yeah. no, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know I could just leave and go get another job. My brain couldn't do that. So right. then I go to Madison, Wisconsin, the most like innocuous trip of my life. I mean, it was, it was a cool place, but it had nothing to do with where I was going. It was just this kind of, you know, leaving my regular life. I don't have to worry. And then I knew something was different. I was like, oh, this is not from detergent. Uh-huh. Because you were making the connection that when your nervous system down-regulated, you had relief. Yes. And then there was another time. This was, These are the two key times. It's the Madison-Wisconsin trip. And the second time I realized it had to do with my nervous system was when I was moving from New York to Massachusetts to be with my partner that I'm married to now. But... Um, we were, I was moving to be with him because that's where he lived. And I was driving in my car. The car's packed of stuff. My two cats are in the back. We're on the highway and I'm speeding, not realizing. And I get pulled over and I had never gotten pulled over before. And I'm on the side of the road and the cop, and I hadn't been like in that much pain. The cop comes and I, my ears, this is crazy, but this, you know, this will tell you about nervous system hypervigilance. Uh -huh. I could hear his boots on the side of the road approaching the car as if they were on a megaphone, uh -huh. like that kind of like the boots are coming towards me. Yeah. And then I, all of a sudden I have to pull down the window or whatever. 
I, my pelvic floor muscles just went into a spasm and I was like, holy shit. And I, he didn't give me a ticket or whatever, but I just remember being like, it was such a gift. Yeah. Such a gift. Cause I was like, this has to do with fear. I know it took me so long. It took me so long. I was in. Well, that's completely counter to everything we're taught about physical dysfunction in the body. You know, I mean, so what, I mean, okay. Like what, what year was that roughly? So I, by that time I knew I had pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, which is what they call it. But that was 2013, but I had gotten diagnosed with pelvic floor muscle dysfunction in 2012. I went, so it, so between when I first noticed it, I was 21 and that was 2003. So literally for nine years, I had no idea what I had. Mm. Um, and then when I finally got diagnosed, nobody was talking about this stuff. Also, right. Right. there was one episode of sex in the city where they alluded to something. Like yes. This. Yes. But other than that, nobody was talking about like gynecological pain conditions. Yep. Now they are, but it right. was a different world then. I was in Barnes and Noble looking in books. Like that's how mm-hmm. archaic it had to be because I was trying to figure it out. I had my friend's moms trying to figure it out for me type of thing. Finally, I found this guy and he was the, you know, big shot. I'm sure he's still working. I forget his name, but he's like a big shot pelvic floor guy. And he, um, he had an office in New York, but he was all booked up. So I had to drive to DC. I went to DC. It was $1,200 out of pocket. And I was like 28. Like I wasn't spending money like that anyway. And he felt my pelvic floor muscles. And he was like, these are the tightest pelvic floor muscles I've ever felt. Wow. Which is a really fucked up thing to say to somebody. Yeah. Um, Am I allowed to curse on here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, good. My, the New Yorker in me was like, uh-oh. Um, you're all good. <laughs> anyway, so um, so he diagnosed me or whatever. And then I, so I knew what I had, but I didn't know it was coming from my brain. Right. I didn't know until that cop pulled me over. Mm-hmm. That's when I really knew. I was like, oh, there's something I mean, to this. Uh-huh. That's that's a really impressive connection, though, still without having any context for it. Like without having the context of somebody introducing the concept of uh, physical pain or rather trauma and fear manifesting in physical pain, you know, like to, to come on that come on to that conclusion yourself. I mean, that's impressive. And, and certainly in 2013, that was just not. I mean, that's 2013 was, um, gosh, it was a year before my journey started. Yeah, it was right before my journey started. But the talk of mind-body connection has exploded since then. Yeah, and I mean, yes, it's a different world. It is. So that was that was pretty revolutionary then, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm not surprised at all that you had you know, previously had plenty of people telling you, you were like, uh, you know, uh, making it out to be, you know, other more benign physical conditions or saying that it's like completely in your head. And it's like, well, it may be in your head, but it's, 
there's a real connection there. There's a real link, you know? Well, like that's such I, problematic terminology. I know. And you know what? I'm just thinking the reason why it became so muddy for me, I think I would have come up with the mind body connection beforehand, but I had a reason in my head for why I thought it was happening. A physical and reason. Yes. And the reason yeah. was that when I was 12, um, I had a birthday party at my house and we had a pool and all the kids in my class were there and everyone was in the pool and I was standing outside the pool and I was leaning over into the pool to get something and my legs flipped up in the air and I slammed my tailbone mm. on the concrete and I had to go, it was... I don't know what year that was, 92, 93. My mother didn't know what to do. She took me mm -hmm. to the chiropractor, which I have respect for chiropractors, but at the time it was like, there was other things that need to be done. Yes. Um, so they were just like cracking my back, you know? Right. But my body, it was right as my body was really forming mm -hmm. at that 12, 13 mark. So when I, when this happened to me when I was 21 and I woke up with the pain, that was what I thought, it was from, from a okay. tailbone injury. I have okay. a feeling if I didn't have that in my head, I probably would have come up with other stuff, but that was like, even my mother thought that was, yeah. Oh, this is from that fall. Right. I always knew that fall was bad. This is what she used right. to say. So anyway, that, I think that was hindering me a little bit because I was holding on to it as an answer. And, you know, sometimes I think there are things are multifactorial too. You know, yes. it's like perhaps that created an area of weakness in your body that, you know, if this kind of like, you know, physical fear manifestation was going to happen, it's going to head to the weakest link, you know, it's like I that, totally it's that weakest mm -hmm. link theory, which um, I think I was first introduced to that through Chinese medicine. Um, but I've never yeah, heard I mean, of that. Yeah, it's just essentially the idea that if you have a place in your body that's more vulnerable, uh, for whatever reason, maybe a previous injury, maybe you were just born that way, uh, that in a situation where there's, a, you know, going to be a physical failing, it, it, you know, symptoms may manifest most significantly in that quote unquote weakest link. Yeah. I also so. had, you know, childhood trauma that sort of cut me off from my body, you know, mm -hmm. especially that area where we feel, um, our home base, you know, right. like our pelvic floor areas. So it made sense. And when I think of it now, that fall too, was kind of like an energetic blast in a yeah. way. So it does make sense. It's just that I relied on it because I was desperate. Right. <laughs> so I created sure. the story. You need, yeah. The brain's looking for answers, of course. Yeah. So, so Mm. Um, how would you say like, so you were dealing with this for a very long time before making that connection and before being able to start, you know, turning the tide in any way, how would you say that shaped you as a young adult? How did that change or limit your life? What was that experience like? Oh my goodness. The crazy part is I'm going to definitely answer your question. The crazy part is this was like right before everything started to get real bad. <laughs> so um, I would say, oh, I don't know. I was, I was, 
I had a therapist say to me once, you know, in some ways you're a lot older than people your age and in some ways you're a lot younger. <laughs> and I'm sure that's mm -hmm. true for like everyone in some way, but there was something about the, the way she said it. And I kind of think about this. Um, I had to really age in a big way because I was dealing with chronic health issues and I was 21 mm -hmm. or pain issues. So I was at doctors all the time, whereas like people my age weren't doing that necessarily, you know, some people obviously, but, um, in my relationships, it became a really big issue with sex. It became a big issue. Um, and then in a lot of ways, I think it stunted me, mm -hmm. um, because I had to be, I, well, I didn't have to, but my brain was on a loop of research and figuring mm -hmm. out research and figuring out. So there was a lot of I mean, I believe it all happened exactly how it's supposed to happen, but there's a lot of sort of, um, I was very attached to being this detective. So then a lot of other areas of expansion couldn't happen because right. I was so narrowly focused on this. Right. I was trying to save my life. So, because it was, I mean, it was, from zero to 10, it was like at an 11, you know, that mm -hmm. we're dealing, it's not like a minor, there wasn't a minor pain that I was dealing right. with. So yeah, it was interesting. I feel like, I feel like I was in a totally different world than my friends. Like they didn't right. understand what I was dealing with or, um, because with this, it was also all the anxiety and the panic and they sort of worked together, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it was a sort of a weird, like, I think I was in one way, I was like, speeding ahead of people in, and then another way I was, I was sort of arrested. It was, uh, it's a weird thing to think about now, because I do feel very different. Um, so once you made that connection, that this condition was relaxing when your nervous system downregulated and mm -hmm. flaring up in moments of fear, then what was the next step from there? So then I, that was the exact moment I moved to a rural part of, um, well, it was like a small town, a college town in Massachusetts. So I got out of New York city. I don't think that's a coincidence that I left this sort of like hypervigilant place. Um, so I happened to move to this area in Massachusetts in, I don't know if people are familiar, but it's in Western Massachusetts. It's kind of like, uh, it's where Smith College is, Holyoke, okay. UMass, a lot of colleges, that's how people would know it. And that area is known to be kind of like a healing Mecca. Mm. And it also is known to be one of the sort of first places other than the Bay Area um, and Colorado where like in the East coast where somatic work became really popular. So I didn't even know I was moving to that place. It's just that my partner lived there at the time. Yeah. Will you quickly define somatic work for folks listening? Sure. So, um, in this case, it was a particular somatic model that was very popular in the area, which is called somatic experiencing. And it's essentially a body-based therapy modality. There are a lot of somatic modalities, but um, where you, it's, it's resting on the idea that the trauma that we experience is stored in our body and not in the event. 
So we use body trackings, tracking sensations in the body, letting the body um, essentially like tell us a story, just like you would tell a story in words, but we're letting the sensations in our body tell us the story of what happened without the content. Oh, you know, okay. you can use content, but a lot of uh, somatic people leave out the content and they just work work with the nervous system response in um, the physical body. And there's a lot of ways you can do that, but a lot of it has to do with putting your attention on sensations and seeing what they do, working with um, impulses that your body has, uh, you know, grounding, resourcing is all part of that too. Okay. So, so, so this was a technique that you were introduced to then once you moved and once you were making this connection that there was a, there was a mind body component here. Yeah. So I moved, I remember I moved maybe the day before Valentine's day of 2013. And then I think in a month or two, I found, this is wild. I found this woman Cause I was like, oh, maybe I should get some myofascial release done. I thought maybe that would be helpful. Like, a, you know, for my muscles that were contracting all the time. And I called this woman up and I said, I explained to her my whole issue. And she was like, so I do, I am a massage therapist, but I do this other thing called somatic experiencing. And I think that would be more appropriate uh. for you. And so I went to her house where she had her office and I saw her for, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And I never got a massage from her. We only did the nervous system regulation work. And it was my whole life started to change because I I went to her office. I'll never forget. And she asked me to look around, just look around, like, Oh, look at the walls. Look at, it sounds like no big deal, Uh but somebody that's in a perpetual state of fear So I'm looking around and I just felt incredibly overwhelmed, Uh like as if something was as if I had never looked around a room before. Right. That's how I describe it. Been so outside of your body. It was the first time I looked around a room and um, and it was interesting that she had two doors in the office. One was into her house because this was like an extension of her house and one was into the bathroom. And for some reason, my brain picked up that the doors were a similar wood color to doors in my childhood house. And I went into like a trauma response. Wow. But I don't even know if that's true. My brain was just sort of trying to, it was just freaking out. Yeah. So then I would start to see her. We'd do these things and I would be in the car driving. I'll never forget with um, Scott, who's my partner. And I'd be like looking out the window in the car at the trees. It was like, I never saw trees before. It's very mm-hmm. emotional to think about. It's like, um, I was 20, I was 30. <laughs> yeah. I was 30, you know, it was 10 years ago. It's like, it's just such a crazy thought. And he was watching me kind of go through this process of like, Oh, you know, this is a resource. And I would, she taught me how to resource and this was the beginning of it all for me. Yeah. So that was really incredible. And then, so that was 2013 and I signed up, I was so into this work that I signed up for the somatic experiencing training, which is three years long. And I started it in 2014. 
That's wild that it's so comprehensive. I mean, that's, that's basically a graduate degree. (laughs) Yes. It was so intense. And I just jumped right into, cause I was like, this is magic. Like, what is this? And again, I wasn't fully healed or anything, but I would, I knew I was onto something. Yep. Um, Around that time, I also started getting food and food sensitivities. I was like lactose intolerant all of a sudden, like weird stuff. Um, So you had starting to get worse. Yeah. Other things coming up. Do you think as a result of starting to dive into starting to release some of the trauma or do you think that was separate? I think it was from the move. Cause okay. I literally left New York. I'd been in New York and I went to school in Boston, but I had been in a city and around people. And then all of a sudden I was like thrown into this area where I didn't really know anybody. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing for me, even though it wasn't very yeah. far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I started the somatic experiencing training and that was a whole thing. And uh, that was intense. So that was three years, but um, you do these little kind of weekends and week long things. So there's time in between. And then in between you go to your own somatic practitioner and you, um, you do things in between sort of on your own to learn. Okay. And, yeah. Professional development kind of, I kind of work. Um, okay. So then I was just on a whole, that's like a big moment of change for me. It's also, mm-hmm. I know it was the reason I moved there. Right. To get me into that world. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask, but you've, you've kind of gotten to it is, you know, when did the tide turn? Because I feel like in everybody's healing journey, there's that moment where you're like, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean all of a sudden you're healed, but, but yeah. the energy shifts, you know, and you're like, okay, I am on the path now. You know, I'm the, the, yes, that frantic, and it doesn't mean you're never going to have another moment of frantic searching, but that, that constant state of frantic searching and discombobulation is, is done. And then, you know, okay, like you are, I don't know, it's just, I guess the only way to know how to explain it is like, it's an energetic shift. In the, in the process, happened. in the journey. Yeah. That first day when I was in that woman's office, something happened. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, it was almost like I could connect with, I could see a glimmer of myself. Right. In a way I couldn't before. There was something, yep. because in somatic work, and I, I'm talking like as a practitioner now, when you're sitting with a client, your job is to see what's working is to pay attention to what's already working. So you could be with a client who's completely dysfunctional, whose nervous system is just pinging and ponging everywhere. But your sort of job is to put your energy and your attention on what's already working inside of them. Because that's really, I mean, if we think about, um, and we could talk about this later, but if we think about anybody who's done any brain retraining is you focus on your attention on what's good. Right. You let your brain lean into what's good. So it's the same idea with somatic work when you're the practitioner. And I think I felt that from her. It was like she was looking at me in a way where she, I, I couldn't do it myself yet, but she, right. I could feel her attention on what was already working. Yeah. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have known to say this then, but sure, in retrospect, sure. yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. That's, that's definitely very powerful when you have someone that can kind of mirror you like that. <laughs> Show yeah. you like, you know, that there's this, I don't know, I guess this self-healing 
mechanism in the body. Like you just have to figure out how to tap into it. Yes. Right. I could, I could feel somehow energetically that she knew I had it in me or something. Yes, and I didn't exactly. know I had it in me. Yeah. 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 So then, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's a good segue into, um, you know, another question that I was thinking about that I think is applicable to, to anybody that's been on a, on a healing journey is, you know, did you, did you always have the knowing that you were going to get better? It sounds like maybe that, that came about this time along with that tide shift. This is, that's an interesting question. I think, I mean, if we just talk in like parts, like a part of me, uh, thought I would be like that forever. Uh Uh-huh. And that was dominant. Um, Right. But then there was this, I would call it more like a spiritual knowing. Uh Uh-huh. Like, oh, this isn't my story. Like my story is not this forever. Yeah. Um, so those, but that was quieter at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of had to, I had a lot of work to do before that was going to come to the surface. Sure. Um, but every now and again, I would think it, I was in a panic um, mm-hmm. pretty much 24 seven. And the, the wild part is in 2012 is when I got my master's of social work. So this all sort of happened at the same time. So in 2012, I graduated from social work school and moved to Massachusetts. I worked with like the severe and like severe mental illness population at the time. And um, so I, I had my degree and I had my license, which is why I was able to go to the somatic experiencing practitioner training. Like you don't have to be a licensed social worker, but you have to be like a licensed something. Right. Like a healer of some sort. Okay. So um so yeah, that's when it really started. My my work really started professionally. It just made so much sense. I was like, oh, I just went to social work school. And literally less than a year later, I got introduced to this incredible somatic work. I was like, this is what I'm meant to be doing with this degree. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I wanted, initially I wanted to work in medical social work. So I worked mm. in a cancer center for two and a half years. Um, that was hard. <laughs> I was going to say, but that was great for the, <laughs> the limbic brain. Right. Well, it's also really dysfunctional, um, place to work, but, um, uh-huh. anyway, but all the while I was gathered, I was in the somatic training and okay, yeah. And I was using somatic work with people in the cancer center. Wow. Which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. So I imagine. Yeah. So that was, I was in Massachusetts for five years. So I was, did the somatic training. I did a lot of work on myself in that way. And then I worked at that place uh, at the cancer center. And that was sort of that chapter. And um, I I was developing more and more issues though. Um, Mm. Still had the pain uh, and I was developing more food sensitivities and digestive stuff. Okay. Yeah. So it was like a, it was a very, very strange feeling because I thought I was doing all this work on myself, yet my symptoms were getting worse. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is a common, (laughs) that's, that's common, I think, uh, at least from what I've seen with people who have been dealing with chronic conditions when they first start doing trauma work. Yeah. Um, many times it gets, 
certain things get amplified even, or they're just like, wait, I'm doing all this. And I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like I'm releasing this stuff, but my symptoms aren't going away. And then there's, I I feel like there is a, um, even though you know that that must be good work and it feels productive, I think there's like a, a unique panic and hopelessness that comes with that, like feeling, well, now I'm, I'm doing this work and I'm still not getting better or getting to where I need to be. What do I do now? You know, so what, what yeah. was next for you? Well, I just want to mention before I left Massachusetts a year and a half before I opened private practice. Mm. So I, um, I got out of that cancer center job and I started working with people one-on-one and that was really incredible because I got to bring the somatic work into my work with clients. Yeah. Um, I worked with all kinds of people, mostly young people. Um, a, a large percentage of the people I work with were um, trans identified. So it was, that mm. was really, really interesting for me because I worked with a lot of people who had different relationships with their bodies right? who were taking hormones. So it was like, there wasn't a parallel process because I wasn't transitioning, but there was something about the sort of dissociating from their physical body and using the somatic work that was really cool. Um, And I, you know, I have to say, and this is still to this day, the only time I'm not, um, no, not, not now, but at the time we'll say the only time I wasn't thinking about my pain, the pain was when I was with my clients. Yep. It was almost like I was a different, I'm sure you can relate. It's like I was in a different space. Right. Um, which was really healing actually. Uh Yeah. Uh So that's when I started a practice. Then in 2017, I mistakenly moved back to New York city, which was a mistake. I actually had a very powerful shaman medium tell me that was a horrible mistake. <laughs> and I was like, I know Thanks, it was. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I moved back and I lived in the same building. I lived in the first time I lived in New York, which is my family owns a building there. So I was in a building with my family members. Oh yeah where the, yeah. <laughs> the trauma all began. Yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah. Because my system was, you know, literally magnetized to the past. Yes. Um, but this time Scott was with me. So it was a little different. I had yeah. a, I had a support system with me. Uh-huh. And again, I do feel like this was happened and it was happened the way it's supposed to happen. But um, as soon as I moved to New York, that's when everything got really bad with my physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. My food sensitivities were off the charts. I had like incredible GI issues happening. I could hardly eat anything. I was crying all the time. I was in like severe anxiety loops. I was in depressive states where I can like, I just had a really hard time functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the miracle of everybody, I guess, or especially people with chronic illness, like just our resilience. I was also building a private practice in New York as this was happening. Uh So I was like mustering up the, you know, 10% of energy. Um, And I started a really successful practice in Brooklyn at the same time. I don't understand how that's possible, (laughs) but I did. Uh Um, And... 
I, um, I also started to get trained when, right when I got to New York, I started to get trained in another therapy modality called internal family systems. Yes. Um, so let's so, yeah. talk a, li- a little bit about that because I find internal family systems to be really fascinating and there might be folks out there that, that may want to, to seek out an IFS therapist. So if you want to just give a little, you know, intro sure. to IFS, that would be great. So um, IFS is based on the idea that we have an indefinite amount of parts of us. If you are in IFS therapy, you will get bombarded with the word part because that's what it's about. So um, we all talk in parts like, oh, I have one part of me that loves New York and another part of me that hates New York or whatever it is. So we are innately familiar with the idea that we have almost sub personalities inside of us. The, the, what could we call him? The developer of IFS. Um, he talks about it as if it's almost multiple personalities, but we don't have multiple personality disorder because everyone has parts. So he, I think he calls it sub personalities. And so the idea is like, okay, let's say I have a part that loves um, chocolate ice cream. And then I have a part that hates chocolate ice cream. This is a very superficial example, but (laughs) the idea is that those parts each have a different perspective. So if we interviewed the one that loves chocolate ice cream and the one that hates chocolate ice cream, they have a completely different thing to say. You know, oh, well, it's just it's kind of disgusting and it's too rich and it makes it doesn't make me feel good versus it's the most delicious flavor. You know, it's almost as if there's two different people in there. Mm-hmm. So more it's, you know, IFS work is working with parts of ourselves, not about ice cream, but about, you know, trauma or our personality aspects of our personality that maybe are getting in the way of our life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have a lot of people who I see in my practice who maybe have issues with parts that are um, overworking. I have a lot of clients who have parts that are tr- overachiever parts, we could call them, or parts that av- are avoidant, mm. you know, that don't want them to do anything or mm-hmm. parts that are afraid to, you know, go on a date or anything's a part, you know, we have okay. a part that brushes our teeth. We have a part that, you know, and so the idea is that there's no bad parts of us, um, the Richard Schwartz who coined IFS, he actually just came out with a book called no bad parts, mm-hmm. because if we treat a part as bad or good, we're never going to get to where we need to get to, which is to get curious about it, to yeah. find out why it's in our system. And with IFS, most parts are what they call protector parts. If people are familiar with psychology, they would know this as defenses. Yeah. That's sort of how the rest of psychology talks about protector parts. Okay. Um, but it's really nice to talk about them as protectors because they're in the parts intentions are to help you. Right. Even if, 
even if the execution of that does not appear helpful. So I'm trying to think of a good example, like if a part doesn't want you to go and meet new people, mm-hmm. you know, let's say somebody's single and they want to date, but there's one part that's like, no, you can't do that. There's, if we interviewed that part, it would give us a its own perspective of why it thinks that going on a date would be dangerous for you uh-huh. or what it thinks will happen if you do go on a date. And inevitably it will be something like you'll get hurt or you'll feel right. like a failure or whatever. We can get down t- to a root problem, but you know, it's, it's actually kind of amazing because things like drug addiction or um, even humor or things that we just sort of think are, you know, either amazing attributes of us or the worst things in the world, they literally all have a similar function and it's just to protect us. So IFS is a great model to work with like um, for anything. But I think especially if you're dealing with addiction, it's a great model because there's no stigma in IFS. So we Mm -hmm. treat we treat parts that want to use, let's just say the same as we treat any other parts mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. know it's just about the function. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it was just, when I got introduced to it, I was like, this is it. Like, this is the Holy grail of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was really special. Like when I first found out about it, cause I knew, you know, when you resonate with something. Yes. Yeah. And so correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea, like the overarching idea with IFS is that we want to mm. unblend the, the like capital S self energy yeah. from the parts so that not, we're not feeling defined by like one particular part, but that the the sort of true self energy or some people would call it the higher self, I guess. Right. Is, is, is really what's in charge and, and driving the show or driving the car. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So that's a big, that's a big metaphor in IFS, like who's driving the car. So yes. like, you know, I actually had a session with someone recently where it was like, I actually, I never did this before, but I had her imagine a car and I was like, who's has the steering wheel right now. And it was a part I forget what kind of part. And then we asked that part to move in the back seat, mm. you know, which is a form of unblending. Okay. So I describe unblending like you want to be with the part rather than be the part. So Got it's it. like we're putting the part next to us on the couch so we can talk to it because if we, this is a good example. Let's say somebody's angry and they start yelling. That means they're blended with a part. Okay. Because our higher self doesn't yell and scream. Mm-hmm. But if they said to whoever they're yelling at, I have a part of me that's really angry at you right now and it wants to scream at you, mm. that would show that they were unblended because they're talking for the part instead of from the part. Got it. Oh, that's so interesting. That's a yeah. really helpful distinction. Yeah. So, I mean, that changed my life when I started to go to the IFS training. Mm -hmm. Um, It changed my practice. I mean, it changed everything. That was really what I needed. The body work was so incredible, but I needed something else to pair with it. So then I started 
I started marrying the two. Okay. And that was really helpful because you could go into the body, work with sensations, and then you could ask these sensations, you know, why do you, why are you here? You can ask chronic pain in the body. Like, what do you want to tell us? And then you could treat it as a part and find out why it's trying to protect somebody. So it was a really nice grounded compliment to what I was already doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, that's so amazing. So, okay. At this point, you're integrating IFS into your practice. Mm-hmm. You're obviously utilizing it with yourself. Where, where is your, um, where are your symptoms at, at this, this point? <laughs> just the worst, just the worst. <laughs> I mean, when Which I, is such I, a mind F because you're doing all this work <laughs> and this is what I want people to hear because yeah, I mean, when they talk about it as a healing journey, like it is a journey, man. Like, and when you, it, it's not, um, when you first open this box of the, the mind body connection and trauma and all of that, I yeah. mean, it's sort of like, it can be for some people like Pandora's box and it gets crazier sometimes before it starts to resolve and it, yes. and it can be rather unpredictable. And there's this very, um, <laughs> the journey is nonlinear and, uh, Anyway, I just think it's 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 really important for people to hear that that you can be doing the work and not yet getting significantly better and it doesn't mean you should stop doing the work or it doesn't mean you're not on the right track. It just means like yeah. damn, it's a journey, you know. That's such a good point because I even as you're talking, I have a memory of myself standing in my kitchen with my childhood best friend and Scott And I'm literally saying to them, like, I don't know what's happening because in one way, I feel like I'm evolving and I'm changing. And then the other way, and this is a good way to use parts, right? One part of me felt like, wow, I'm really changing, like almost like my personality is changing. And then the other part of me was like, what the hell is going on here? My body is like (laughs) turning against me. Right. Um, You know, I, when I'm talking, as I'm talking about this right now, I still cannot believe what I was able to do in my life, in my practice, in my professional life while I was suffering. Mm -hmm. And I, it, you know, it's something just occurred to me like in real time that I hadn't thought about. I think what was happening was that I, especially because I was in my family's building, you know, Mm -hmm. which is part of this, but, um, a lot of my symptoms were connected to nervous system, limbic issues that connect to childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think what was happening is, and we think about parts, I had a lot of adult parts that would take over when I had to deal with my clients and my Mm -hmm. business, I would start blending with these adult parts. And we, in IFS, we call them like manager parts. And these are good parts. They help us do work. And some, you know, some people have, manager parts that are, um, on overdrive, like workaholics, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think I was in, I was, my adult parts were helping me build a business and do all these trainings. And then when I would go home, especially I would blend with all the child parts Mm. and just go into all those kid parts and those symptoms. 
I mean, I mm-hmm. had symptoms when I was at work too, but it's just, um, I could see what was happening. It was like, I was, had these parts that stepped up and said, no, we're going to, we're going to start this business. We're going to go to these trainings because this is what we want to do. And then these kid parts would take over. Right. And I would just be like a mess, you know? Yeah. Um, so then I started developing all sorts of symptoms. I mean, mostly brain fog. And the biggest thing was, um, I think they call it depersonalization. Yeah. It's like when you feel like you're not in the world. Yeah. yeah like I would there. constantly yeah. say, constant was every day. I would say, I feel like I'm on another planet. That's uh-huh. what I kept saying as if I was on Mars and like the air was different and yeah. I'm seeing myself. I mean, it's a very strange feeling for anyone who's ever felt it, but that and the brain fog were the big ones. A little sidebar here. What is the, is there, what would you say the difference is between disassociation and depersonalization? Because I feel like I've, mm. or is deep, is disassociation just more acute and depersonalization is ongoing? Well, I don't know enough about depersonalization, even though I think I was experiencing it, but dissociation is more like you're going away. Like there's more of a going away. It could be very helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. In a trauma. Yeah. And this depersonalization thing was literally like, I wasn't, I couldn't, I can't explain. It was like, I, it's like a, it's something about not even recognizing like you're in your own body. Yeah. Like, um, I, I mean, I think I know I've experienced experienced disassociation, but I think I've I've probably also experienced depersonalization. And mm-hmm. I know because I was talking about a friend with this about this when we were we were actually in our twenties at the time. And at this point, I wasn't having any uh, physical symptoms, but mm-hmm. I had a slew of mental emotional issues that were coming up from trauma. Um, but he had once explained to me this idea of depersonalization and looking in the mirror and not making the connection. Like it could have been somebody else. Like there wasn't that inherent knowing of self. And yeah. And then later I recall experiencing that and being like, whoa, that's bizarre where it was like, it took the brain a, a second to be like, oh, that's, that's me, you know? It was that, but it was coupled with like this brain fog. And a lot of it had to do with my vision. Mm-hmm. So like the whole world looked different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to explain as if there was like a screen in between me and the world and it was all fuzzy. Mm-hmm. I, I It was a very strange feeling. I know a lot of people who have chronic illness probably have felt something similar. I think it's more common than we think like any brain fog type of thing. Yes. Um, So that's when things got really intense. Cause I was like, what is this? Like, this is, Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. And I was eating like five foods. Um, I couldn't even eat bananas. Like it's that it was at that stage. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then (laughs) it's funny because I sound like a lunatic, but this will really, really show people how we are so complex, right? So we're so multidimensional. So I'm going through all that. And then after the IFS training, I go get trained in EMDR Mm. while this is all happening. And just quick uh, definition of EMDR for folks. So EMDR is, stands for um, eye movement, Sorry, I'm blanking. Re, eye movement reprocessing 
um, no, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Uh-huh. I believe I'm blanking. I never say the whole thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so EMDR is a very direct way of reprocessing traumatic experiences. I have been doing it with a therapist in New York. Um, it is very, in, it can be intense for people. Um, and it's funny when I look at my journey learning about therapeutic modalities, somatic experiencing has the least amount of structure. There's no formula. There's sort of ways of being with people. IFS, there is a little bit of a formula of how you work with that mm-hmm. with clients. And then EMDR, there is a formula. So okay. what was happening was my system was sort of craving more and more organization Mm. It was like, I wanted like a formula to hold on to. Okay. I think it's one, I was in some way I was healing, even though I wasn't seeing it. And in another way, yeah. I was just craving like some sort of structure. Yeah. Um, and so EMDR is pretty um, intense. It's good for people when they want to work on like single events or. Right. Like real can, acute traumas. That's really what it was, I think, first meant for. But you can work on it with, you know, with like chronic developmental trauma as well. Um, So then I was did that training. And then I everything was out of control. And then I had gone to a functional medicine doctor in 2018 with all these symptoms and, you know, they had me buy 10,000 supplements uh-huh. as they do, as they do, which yeah. was not good for me because I'm very sensitive. So I didn't not know what good was for helping. Most people. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. I had no idea what was helping, <laughs> what wasn't, I don't know what was right. going on. I was so sick and the doctor said, Hey, you know, I went to a conference and I've learned about this program called dynamic neural retraining system. And I was like, okay. She's like, well, it's to retrain your brain. And I was like, okay. So I looked it up and I was like, well, this sounds like it would help me. And I started it and I did it for two months and it was helping. Mm -hmm. And then I quit (laughs) because (laughs) my brain told me this wasn't working and I had to go to the next thing. Right. Even though it was helping. Right. And I quit it. And then everything started to get really intense. And, you know, I'm pushing myself professionally. I'm pushing myself personally. I didn't know what to do next. I changed my diet. All I was trying to heal it with heal what was going on with food. That wasn't quite working. A little bit. It did a little bit. But um, then I said, you know what? that program that I tried a year ago did help me. I was Mm -hmm. like, I have to try it again. So Mm -hmm. it was about a year, it was about 14 months after the first time I started dynamic neural retraining system, which is a brain retraining system uh, program again. So that was in November of 2019. Yeah. And just quickly for the listeners. So, uh, the dynamic neural retraining system, brain rewiring, is how Ari and I met. Uh, there's a really wonderful community of folks that kind of get together on WhatsApp and they do various parts of the practice together. And that's how we got in touch. Um, and the 
it should be, I don't have it up yet, but by the time this airs, I will have the previous episode, uh, which is a uh, rebroadcast of an interview I did on the Live Fab Life podcast about brain rewiring. I go in depth discussing exactly what it is, what it looks like, who it's for, all of that. But in brief, brain rewiring is essentially harnessing the um, the power of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability from birth to death to change and to um, create new neuro- new neural pathways, prune off neural pathways that uh, aren't needed um, in order to like create a specific outcome. And with brain rewiring, most typically what we're trying to do is calm the limbic system down, which is the primitive part of the brain that is essentially trying to protect you from, you know, the tiger coming out and and stealing your baby. Um, Because for most people that have some kind of a chronic physical condition or panic disorder, depression, whatever, that, excuse me, the limbic system is in a loop and uh, yeah, it's just dominating. And so the body is then never out of fight or flight, which is, um, it makes it very difficult for the body to heal and, uh, and get into a, and, or thrive when, um, when it's constantly in fight or flight, you really need to be in that parasympathetic state for healing to start to occur. So for um, people that are using brain rewiring are typically trying to get that primitive center of the brain to calm down so that healing can take off in other ways in their body. Yeah. And you know, like anybody working on healing themselves, there's like this feeling inside when you know something is, is, right for you, at least in that moment. So, I mean, it's incredible to me that I went back to it after Mm -hmm. having quit. Um, and I just kept saying, Oh, I have to do DNRS again. I have to do it. It's funny when I think about this whole story and us talking, it's like, I had a life full of like acronyms, like (laughs) like DNRS and IFS and EMDR. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so I started the brain retraining program because I was, the most desperate I have ever been. Um, So many symptoms. So everything was out of control. And I started it and I, I don't know, things got really, really intense. Um, You know, they do say when you start any brain retraining program, it can get worse before it gets better. I have Mm -hmm. talked to a lot of people where that hasn't been the case. So it's not for everyone, but for me, it was like, it went from a hundred to a thousand and everything started to get worse. And it took me, I would say at the five or six month mark, something clicked and a bunch of symptoms went away. It was Mm -hmm. like this, like, boop, I could feel it. It was like, oh, I just up leveled. I used to call it. I up leveled. And it was really the first time in my life where I was intentionally paying to paying attention to things that made me happier. I was paying attention to positive things. I stopped watching the news, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, Just, just another little note for folks. One of the things that's kind of unique about brain rewiring um, as opposed to kind of other, I don't know, therapeutic interventions is that it really focuses on creating uh, what's called dose chemistry in the body. So dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. 
um, really bathing the brain in these feel good, uh, in this feel good neurochemistry in order to bring about healing. And I think for a lot of people, that's like completely revolutionary because when, even once you make the connection that, yeah, all this physical stuff is probably happening because, uh, you know, I've been sort of weakened over time by trauma. Yeah. Um, you know, the inclination then is to, well, I have to do the trauma work, but so many folks are still stuck in fight or flight when they start that trauma work and the nervous system many times can't really handle it or in the very least can't make the most of that work because yeah, the nervous system is just totally jacked. You're still in fight or flight. So what I think can be a great formula is doing some, doing some kind of a brain retraining program first, which both you and I did not do it that way. (laughs) So we like (laughs) learned, right. Um, Doing some kind of a brain retraining program first to get out of fight or flight, to calm the limbic system. And then once you have some stability, then bringing in some of these trauma work interventions. Yeah, I know. We talk about this a lot. We did it the opposite way, which is, yes, to do the trauma work and then say, I did all this trauma work. What's wrong with Right. Me? What's going on? Um, but I have to say doing it this way, once I was doing the brain retraining work and it started to work, it was a, mm, I, I think I had, I don't know if this is true for other people, but I could sense that I was able to have a fuller experience of who I am because I had already done all this trauma work. Like for example, now that I've did, I did the brain retraining program pretty to the T for about nine, 18, 19 months. Now I don't do exactly that. I'm doing some other stuff, but I can tell you that it was like, now I don't need to go do a bunch of trauma work now. Mm-hmm. I already did it. It's not like right. I have, you know, it's not like I'm like a hundred percent over everything, but for the most part, I'm close. Yeah. Whereas like, I can see some people who do the brain retraining and then are like, wait, now I have to go do the trauma work, which is right. also, I mean, it's this, the way I look at it is like, everything happens exactly how it's supposed to happen. So I was supposed to do it that way. Other people were supposed to do it the other way preferably I would have chosen the other way. So I could have been relaxed Yes, when I was, but it wasn't supposed to happen like that for me. So I don't know. I think at this point, I, once I did the brain retraining, which was probably the hardest thing, I don't know how you feel, but it was a hard, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's an unbelievable commitment. I think, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've been on kind of two healing journeys and I was successful in my first healing journey through a variety of modalities, both physical interventions and also mental, emotional, spiritual interventions. But I never had it. I did a lot of yoga and meditation and I did Reiki on myself and and had daily practices, but never something this structured. And I have never spent so many consecutive hours in, I mean, it's a form of meditation, I would say it's unique, but I mean, I, I want, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I wonder what we've like clocked in the, I mean, cause it's impressive. Like it's a, it's a huge, 
It's a huge commitment. And it's something that, I mean, as much as <laughs> I'll see people that they're just starting to um, show up with physical manifestations that are problematic and, and, and becoming chronic, or whatever, but they can kind of still live with it. Like those are the people you you're like, if you just do this now, you might be able to nip this thing in the bud, like in a few months, you know, but I think because it's such a significant commitment, most people don't do it till their back is against the wall, myself included. Like you said, you were basically in your darkest hour. Yes. Yeah. And same for me. I mean, I, I had exhausted every other resource and this was something that somebody mentioned to me and I was like, okay, I, I guess this is what I have to do. And, um, I mean, I had a newborn at the time. I was very afraid of the commitment, which is, you know, an hour of practice a day, but also, and you can split that up into, you know, two 30 minute sessions or however, four 15 minute, however you want to do it, but also committing to consistently keeping your mood elevated throughout the day. And there's, there's a lot of support for it. Like the WhatsApp communities are really great. And, you know, I'm in a great groove with it now, but it is, I mean, it's, it's a big commitment to make to yourself, but if you, if you really want to get better, I mean, and, and yeah, I, and that's how I felt. I'm like, this can't be, I know this is not my story. Like I have to make this commitment because this is not my story. You know, it's so funny because, you know, and I think people understand what I say, what I mean when I say this is like, this was, you and I were also doing this during like when the world was locked down. Right. And everybody was so upset about it. And I'm going to tell you, I was so happy. I was like, not that COVID was going on, but that I had some sort of excuse as to why I could have more time to myself. I was like, oh, this couldn't have come at a better time. (laughs) It sounds so messed up, but like, I didn't have to tell anybody that I was doing this brain retraining for an hour a day. Like, I just had the hour. Yes. You know, more than I would have if I would be expected to go, you know, put your energy out to other people. Right. So, you know, people who are doing this during that time, it's a very unique experience because we're kind of already, a lot of us already weren't able to really leave our houses that much. Yes. Yes. (sighs) Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, the time I needed the time. Um, mm-hmm. I needed some sort of boundary to be set for the world and then mm-hmm. it was something that happened and I was like, oh, this is a horrible way for it to happen. Right. Um, but yeah, so then, so here I am like trained in all these things and as I'm trained in, you know, I get the somatic experiencing training, then the IFS, then the EMDR and I'm bringing them in to work with my clients, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have amazing clients and, um, you know, EMDR has been helpful for some people, not for other people. Yeah. Um, IFS is helpful for everyone, I think. And so is somatic work. Um, and then I've even brought in the brain retraining program to some of my clients. And so I have a few clients that have done it and have cured themselves of a whole host of things that's incredible therapy would have never gotten to. Right. You know, but now we could do deeper work in therapy and their system isn't like all shook up. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's been real interesting to, to really bring in what I'm doing. And now I literally, I have one symptom left. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, just something I'm trying to figure out, but 
ever, all my other symptoms have gone away and it's all been because of, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I like to say it's all because of brain retraining, but it's not, it's all because of everything. Yes. It's, (laughs) it's, it's the amalgamation for sure. I think what I think is that brain rewiring is very often the missing link you know, for, for like catalyzing all of these things that we've done, yeah. to, you know, to really be able to take hold in the body. I think so too. It was almost like this. Um, I felt this is, this is the metaphor I see in my head when I did brain rewiring, it was as if there was an entire field of all like an actual like field, like, um, like a grassy field with all my stuff all over it, like all my emotional stuff, my history. And when I was doing brain rewiring, it's as if someone was going in the field and picking everything up and putting it in a basket. (laughs) It was like something was happening where it was being organized and being swept up in like, Uh so it wasn't all over the place anymore. It was some sort of way to bring it all together and- Also, it's, you know, it's a really, it's an integration process, I think. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what practices are you using at this point to kind of maintain your current level of health and, you know, also to continue to work on whatever, you know, remains that Mm -hmm. that you're still working on? So I am doing meditations multiple times a day, different kinds of meditations. I'm doing lots of meditations from Joe Dispenza. If anybody knows Joe Dispenza, Mm -hmm. if you don't, you should probably look him up. Um, He's critical in a lot of my healing. Um, And so I'm doing a lot of his meditations and his meditations are really about like creating the life you want, elevating your, um, well, I think a lot of people can really can know this vernacular, like raising your vibration, mm-hmm. you know, getting your vibration from somewhere maybe lower on the spectrum to higher where you're radiating more positivity and um, where you feel like you are the creator of your own reality versus like a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of his meditations I'm doing. And then I, I'm doing all sorts of meditations. I'm kind of looking at it like... Um, I'm just like calming my brain as much as I can, but I'm doing it in a way that is much more relaxed. I don't really have a big, like, oh, I have to do my meditations in the morning and they have to be this, you know, Mm -hmm. in the way that we did with the brain retraining. Yes. No pressure. I have no pressure. I'm also doing, um, and you and I have, or, you know, talked about this, the, um, courses with uh this woman elizabeth Elizabeth dialto yeah Yeah. through her um she has something called the embodied living center so she has all these videos of her just doing i mean it's it's not something i've actually ever seen before i don't think it's it's unique yeah yeah and i highly recommend it for people in like female bodies like yeah i've been doing these courses with her where you're just moving your body in a free way to music and you're just sort of letting your body do what it wants. Nobody's looking at you, you know, and you could be on the floor, you could be standing and she has you get in touch with your body, but it's all so gentle. 
And it doesn't have that like masculine energy behind it where you're pushing mm-hmm. and you're forcing. It doesn't have mm-hmm. workout energy behind right. it. And it's a lot of it is about sensuality, but not having to do with sex, you know, it's just sort of being in touch with your body. And yeah, she's, she's really inspirational for me just to see somebody so comfortable in their body. So I've been doing that. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. It's, it's a very low pressure uh, little program I've sort of made for myself. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Um, And what advice would you give to somebody that is in their darkest hour dealing with a chronic condition? Um, okay. I think my advice is to figure out how you can, what's the best way to say this? Like, how you can start to believe that there is a, that like, I mean, this is what I believe, but like that this is all happening to get you to some bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. Like that really helped me. Like when I just, I started to tap into this little, and for me, it's very spiritual. Maybe other people it isn't, but like I tapped into this part of me inside. It was like a spiritual little whisper. And it was like, Oh, like this is the, this is the worst thing. This is the worst shit. But for some reason, I know that this is getting me to a bigger and more expansive place. Like, yes. And it's, it's really, really hard to believe that. Like I, I remember I said to some women in a pelvic floor pain group that I was in, this was years ago. I said to these older women that had suffered from this for so long, I said something about how I thought, even though this was the worst thing in my life, this was a gift. And the women in the group got so mad at me. They were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The gift. And so I'm not saying like, you have to get to that point. Right. But I think that having some sort of spiritual belief, not religious, but some sort of spiritual belief, um, you know, it can be religious, but it doesn't have to right. be, right, it, you right. know, it's just like that there's a purpose and you're like moving towards it. And the illness or whatever you're dealing with is planted there to get you to pay attention and yes. move towards your bigger purpose. Yeah. And that really helped me. Cause I was like, okay, like this is my obstacle. Maybe the person, you know, your best friend, has a different obstacle and it didn't show up in a chronic illness, mm-hmm. but they have something, you know? Yeah. I, I would agree totally. That's, that's been absolutely um, vital to mm-hmm. me uh, getting better is that, that consistent belief that there is, there's some kind of a higher purpose for it. And, you know, I, at this point I'm like, I have the, experience of having gone through one healing journey and really come out the other side and and had the rear view of seeing, okay, yes, I see how this has completely shifted my life and who I am and, you know, what I'm doing in my life and who I can help. Um, So, you know, I know that that happens. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and I've also heard enough, I think another wonderful thing is to surround yourself with stories of healing because you're going to hear that narrative over and over. 
that, I mean, nobody goes through like a harrowing healing journey without coming out on the other side saying, you know, finding some um, like profound wisdoms in that experience. Right. It's, you know, no one's like, yeah, I don't know why the hell that happened. People (laughs) always can see in the rear view um, why that was, that was needed and, and how it is, you know, shaped their life for the better. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important uh, lifeline, really. I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know how people get through this stuff without that vision. And maybe they don't, you know, I mean, maybe right. those are the people that, that genuinely don't find their way out when you can't see that there's there's more for you and believe it, you know, as, as difficult yeah. as that is. But, you know, the one thing I think about um, is it's like, well, whether you believe that you're going to get better or not, like time is still going to pass. You're still ha- yeah, going right. to have to deal with the same shit. So why not just try it? You know, just try it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think too, as like a person who I always knew I was meant to be some sort of healer. Yeah. Um, even when I was younger, I mean, especially like in high school, I worked at a nursing home mm-hmm. and I worked with like really elderly folks who were, you know, not all of them were like in their right state of mind. A lot of them had dementia, things like that. And I still felt like energetic. I didn't have tools. I didn't know what I was doing, but I still felt like energetically the way I was connecting with those people. I was like, Oh, okay. Like I have something here. Like this is, this is my skill because I will tell you, I don't know how to do anything else. (laughs) Like it's like a joke in my house. I can't (laughs) play sports. I don't know how to put things together. Like I can't hang a picture hardly. Like I don't know how to do anything except for healing work with people. (laughs) And I actually, that same shaman that told me it was a mistake to move back to New York. He also told me that he was like, look, you're, you're like, you can do healing work. You're psychic, all, all, anything in that arena, but you really suck at everything else. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I'm starting to accept it now. I'm like, I can hire someone for everything else. That's there fine. You go. Like if I need yeah. somebody to work on my car, you know, I don't know how to do that either. Um, <laughs> I know I just, I'm accepting it at this point. But um, I knew at that nursing home, I was like, oh, I can connect with people in a deep, I could do something here with people. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, with knowing that that's my purpose, and this is another piece of advice. It's like, if people can connect to their purpose, whether Mm -hmm. or not they're doing it yet, but if somebody's like, I know the purpose of my life is to like be a mother, or I know mm-hmm. that the purpose of my life is to be a, you know, health coach or a, whatever it is. Like my whole thing was like, I just knew that there was something connected to my purpose and my illness. Yes. Like I was like, this has to in, this has to inform my purpose. Yes. How could it not? How can my, right. you know, your life experiences have to inform your purpose. So let's say your purpose is to be a mother, whatever you're going through with your body is going to help you go and like parent in a way that maybe right. is like transformational for your kids or whatever it is. So that really helps me just keep it in mind. Like, 
my purpose is to be a healer. So this is to teach. This is school. I mean, right. we're, in, we're in school right now, right? It's like right. a lot of people say that like our human yeah. experience is school. Right. So that's that really helped me too. Yeah. Yeah. And how can people connect with you if they want to work with you? Um, so my website is erigata, E-R-I-G-A-E-T-A.com. Um, I also am doing, I didn't mention this, I don't have to get into it, but I also do spiritual readings with people to help them connect to their purpose and know what their purpose is. So that's really fun. Um, so yeah, the best way is on my website. So fun fact, I am not on any social media <laughs> and, um, good for you. It was like, it was a conscious choice. Cause I felt that I was, um, I would just, my brain would start to turn into like a pile of mush <laughs> when yeah. I would go online. So I was like, yeah. Oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. So, um, yeah, the best way is to email, uh, to contact me through my website for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was a beautiful conversation and I really appreciate yeah. your time. 